the timing of this Ralph Norman scandal was super frustrating. I've had to wait a week to get on this thing. We will start there, got that, plus the State of the Union, and a whole lot more. Stick with us for this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. It is as if the world doesn't know that it's supposed to revolve around me. I mean, you, you have these stories breaking on the day a new episode of my show comes out, and then I have to wait an entire week to record my thoughts on this very intriguing news story, and I am so seldomly intrigued by the news so that when a news story comes out that actually has some intrigue, it was frustrating waiting to get to this microphone to talk through it. Of course, I am kidding about the universe revolving around me. That might be how I behave, but I do know, deep down, it's not true. My name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, better, deeper talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show However you are listening, if we are in your earbuds as you work out or you are riding on the road listening live on Christian Talk 660, however you listen, I do mean this, I'm grateful. Thank you for giving us some time every week to work through what's going on in the news or just some deeper topics uh, that's, that are rolling around in my head. Thanks for the feedback on the last show. As more of that rolls in, we might revisit some of it. So here's uh, to the table I want to set before you, and then we shall feast. I want to talk about Ralph Norman, or Ralph Northam. He is the governor of Virginia. I really want to do a compare-contrast because he said a terrible, terrible thing, and he didn't take any heat for it. And then he it was discovered he did a terrible, terrible thing decades ago. He took a lot of heat for it, and I want to see what we can learn from that event. Not necessarily talk about the person or the event, because that's what small and medium minds do. But after we talk about that, get to the ideas behind it and what it means. So I want to do that. Then I want you to hear from Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska, as far as I'm concerned, the country's greatest senator. There is not a better person in the Senate than Ben Sass. I would further aver, that means to argue, I would further allege that he is the greatest member of the entire Congress, of all 535 of those scoundrels. Just kidding. He is the best of all of them. So I want, to, want you to hear a speech from him. Uh, and then maybe State of the Union, maybe do some of that. That's a possibility. And then, of course, some Super Bowl talk there at the end. And yeah, we'll see how it all goes. Let's start here. Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, he's in some hot water because it was discovered in a yearbook that he had dressed himself up uh, as an African-American person. It ended up being that, the uh, the blackface situation where someone was wearing blackface. That actually wasn't the Democratic governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, but he did admit later he did put on black makeup once or some kind of, I think he said shoe polish maybe, which by the way, sounds like a really bad dermatological decision. I don't know if that's a word or not, dermatological, uh, but dude, don't put shoe polish on your face. It's a terrible idea. Um, also, more importantly, that's deeply offensive. So uh, it was really bad morally as well. In any event, he does admit to doing that. This is where he's in trouble because that is the that's the offensive thing. That's the bad thing. The hard thing you shouldn't have done is that racist uh, action, and I agree. I don't mind the idea of him resigning for it. The problem I had is he did something worse. And I listen, I think I have some credibility on race issues because of things we've done in the past with Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. I can say I do think this one's worse. Both are bad. Just because one is worse doesn't mean that you're, you are... 
uh, diminishing the severity of the other. The blackface situation is terrible, and he should be out of office and out of public life for what he did there. He should have known better. He was in his mid-20s. It was the late 70s or early 80s. You know better by then to, than to do that. But just a week before, he said one of the most disturbing things I'd ever heard, and there was not enough challenge against him. Let me set it up for you. There was a bill in the Virginia legislature to allow for abortion up through all 40 weeks of gestation. There was, as the person was questioned, the person who wrote the bill was questioned in the Virginia House of Delegates. She said, there is no limit in the bill. So unlimited abortion, as in, here comes the baby. We are talking about in labor. Can you go ahead and stab it in the head for me? This is totally fine. Guys, partial birth abortion in a in a very real way meant as long as some portion of that baby was still in the birth canal, you can kill that child. You can stab it in the head and suck its brains out. You say the core that's really uh, violent language. That's really uh, that's language is painting too vivid of a picture. Yeah, we're talking about murder, talking about baby murder. So I'm going to be really vivid with the language because we need to know what's happening there. We need to accept the reality of what we've done as a people with baby murder, infant murder. Uh, We're talking about lungs that pump air. We're talking about a heart that pumps blood, kidneys that filter fluids in a brain and that that sends signals and nerves that can feel things, that we've done that in this country. Now, it wasn't done in mass. Those, Those types of abortions were really really rare, nevertheless, anyone's conscience who could see such a thing happen and it not be deeply affected, that person's conscience is seared, and that person, don't mind saying, is an evil person. That's a dark, evil person. I think being affected by dark, evil forces, uh, child murder has some some deep connections to occultic and pagan practices. And I am I could go deep into this if you want. It make me sound even crazier than I do right now. I think that's part of what abortion is. I do think there's some dark forces, demonic, spiritual forces connected to ancient pagan thoughts regarding the killing of our children. Uh, But nevertheless, we'll come out of that world and just go back to the one we have here in 2019 North America where this delegate in Virginia says there's no limit, no limit to abortion at any time. Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, is asked about this bill. This is his response on a, I think it was an NPR-type show there in Virginia. The voice you're about to hear is the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortion. Okay, I'm a liar. That's the first voice is the journalist. But now you're about to hear Ralph Northam in just one moment. Trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I. I cannot stand that kind of. Uh, I was about to use it. Maybe an offensive term. I can't stand that kind of mealy-mouthed answer. I wasn't there. You know what? There's video now. The video was all over the news. The video and the audio from it has been played everywhere. You don't have to be there to have a moral statement on what you saw there. It's such a cop-out. No, you know, I I, I wasn't there. Lee, and I, I certainly can't 
speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you, one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Now, hold on. I want you to hear that. So in these situations, the infant is delivered. Do you have that pictured in your mind? That's a child outside the womb now. The cord has been cut. It's an independent human being outside the mother. It was already an independent human being, by the way, while in gestation. Did you hear his language? The child will be delivered. Okay, Governor, then what? It would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. The, the infant would be resuscitated. So let's say, what, what did an abortion go wrong? The, the child is being kept comfortable being kept alive. So it's alive outside. There, there's medical care being given to the child. Family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, well, what are we talking about there? What's the discussion about, sir? You're talking about killing that kid. That's where you are now. This is why he should have had to resign. The reason Ralph Northam needed to resign is not, it certainly is what he's done. And the, the racist background, the stuff that he had done previously, yeah, he, needed, he needs to resign for that. You know why you need to resign, sir? Because you just painted a picture very clearly for all of us of a child leaving the birth canal, receiving medical care, being resuscitated, and then we're going to have a talk. Or what are you going to talk about? We're talking about baby names? We're talking about what, what he or she might be when she grows up? We're talking about what kind of onesie we're going to get them, if they might, what, what kind of cartoons they might watch? Is that what we're, is that what we're discussing? Nope. The conversation he's referring to is, are we going to then turn around and kill this child? Now, he, he comes back and says later, well, in cases of a, def, you know, of a def, some kind of deformity or something, well, you don't get to kill deformed people either. He says maybe, he was referring to, you know, ch children that aren't viable. That is, you're walking yourself in, in circles here, sir. If the child is resuscitated and the child is alive, being kept comfortable, as you said, there is no longer a discussion. But this is how far the American left has gone. And this comes from me. Listen closely. I'm the guy who says we, we need more unity in the way that we have more unity is we assume the best of our opponents. I said recently on a bonus podcast, which, by the way, you should be subscribing to the show wherever you can so you can get the bonus podcast I've been doing lately, that even in this abortion debate specifically, one of the, the things we need to recognize is, on my side, when we talk about people like they aren't humans, whether that be immigrants or we talk about liberals on the left, or we talk about secular people like they're the enemy and we don't give them their humanity, then it hurts our credibility when, it, when we think talking about unborn children. 
because we haven't expressed a full ethic of the value of life and human life because we talk about some human life like we hate it. So that's coming from me who thinks we need more unity. We need, we need to actually love each other again and, and be kind to one another. And here I am with my natural inclination being peace telling you a very hard truth that there is a giant part. I uh, shouldn't have said it that way. My, my apologies. There is a small segment of the American left who sees female autonomy that there be, and also uh, sex without consequence, that there'd be sexual intercourse without consequence and female autonomy as so valuable that it is worth killing, actively murdering a child. Those people exist. Those are real. That is not hyperbole from me. We need to call that what it is. That is evil. It is depraved. And I'm going to add on a spiritual thought here. It will be judged by the God of the universe for those who have held that position and made that argument. I have a lot more I want to do on the show today, including the State of the Union, and we'll come back with some audio from Ben Sass. Stick with us for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Corey Act Show. You can connect to the show anytime you want. It's at your leisure and at your convenience. It's at Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, where else? On the Twitter as well. In the Twitter sphere, you can find me. You can also get the show on demand at every podcasting app you can possibly imagine. You can support the show there on Anchor and get in touch with the show at anchor.fm or you can download the Anchor app and interact with the show there. I am always appreciative when you do. Now, next up, Ben Sass, as I have said, is the best senator in the United States of America. He gave a speech on the Senate floor regarding the same topic we were just discussing on the show in the first segment about Ralph Northam. It is a five-minute speech. I have fast-forwarded about a minute in, and here's all he's done thus far. Is He just told you what I told you. He told you the facts of the case about what Northam said, and then he's going to get really clear here about what that's called. This is... um. This is one of the harder parts of that conversation is that some folks just wouldn't call what he described infanticide. But that's what it is. When you have a baby born and then decide if you're going to kill the baby, well, if you kill the baby, you have committed infanticide. You have killed an infant. In any event, Ben Sass says it better than any uh, than I ever could, so here is Ben Sass from the Senate floor. Let's be really clear about what we're talking about here. We're talking about fourth trimester abortion or what anyone in the normal world calls infanticide. Wow, I love that. Fourth trimester abortion. That's exactly the case. And don't tempt this section of the American left. That particular subset of the American left that is obsessed with abortion. It is the holy sacrament of the left of the left-wing religion. And listen, I know this sounds weird for me cuz I'm the peace guy. Let's all get along. To try, at least I try to be. There is, when you get rid of religion, people will replace it with their own religions, with their own paganisms. This is the natural part of the American, not the American, the human. The human heart worships. We're going to create something to worship. And the American left has its own theology and its own sacraments. And again, this might be a small segment of it. But in the, in the Christian church, we have sacraments. We have the rite of baptism, the holy writ or rite of baptism, or communion. Their sacrament is abortion. It is holy to them. The, the absolute personal autonomy of absolute sexual freedom the con- and, all, and total consequence-free sexual freedom 
This is their sacrament, and they want it at all costs. And I don't doubt at all we'll get to a point where we're talking about fourth trimester abortions. We have, we've had that before. It's been really small. I mean, this, the people who have argued for, well, you know, I mean, out, right outside the womb, if you, uh, until you know the way Peter Singer said it, he's secular left-wing uh, ethicist, until you know there is a tomorrow, you don't have sentience. And so an infant, it doesn't know time, it doesn't know it's going to exist in the next moment or not, so you could still kill an infant if it's, if it's unwanted. Ben Sass has a, a term there that should be coined, that fourth trimester abortion. That's what we're talking about. And the governor of Virginia has been defending this all day yesterday and again today, going out and trying to equivocate and qualify and then double down and again say he wants to defend this practice, which is infanticide. Let's be clear what we're talking about. We're talking about killing a baby that's been born. We're not talking about some euphemism. We're not talking about a clump of cells. We're talking about a little baby girl who's been born and is on a table in a hospital or a medical facility, and then a decision or a debate would be had about whether or not you could kill that little baby. We're talking about the most vulnerable among us, and we have a public official in America out there, again and again, defending a practice. This is, so dis- this is why this is disturbing. A person has to stand on the Senate floor to explain the denotative facts of a case. We have fallen into such a dark place in our politics that someone has to go to the Senate floor and go, hey, everybody wake up. This isn't hard. Words have definitions. Things mean things. I mean, words mean what, what, they, what they mean. And if a child is born, and then you discuss whether or not to kill it, hey, everybody, we already have a law for that. That's called infanticide. It's called murder. You can't put that in any other kind of semantic range of abortion or something like that. He's, this is disturbing because what he's saying sounds foreign to some people. They don't actually recognize that the words he's saying are true. There are those who would say, well, no, that's not infanticide. That's just a super-de-duper late-term abortion. This is infanticide that we're talking about. This should be so far beyond any political consideration. We're talking about a little baby, a baby with dignity, an image bearer. Ooh, he getting that biblical language in there. Why do we care? Because the image of God is on that child. You know, this is, for the secular leftists, this is their biggest challenge in all of their ethics. It does seem to be folks on the left have a great deal of compassion for the poor, the immigrant, the downcast, the, the outcast. To which I would say to a lot of folks on the left, especially the secular left, why? Why do you care? I know why I care, because I believe all people are made in the image of God. Why on earth do you care for that bag of chemicals? That bag of chemicals right there, that skin bag of chemicals that happens to be poor, why do you care about it? That skin bag of chemicals there that happens to be an immigrant, why do you care about that? Now, I know why I do. My worldview says that person has value because they're made in the image of God. I care about these babies the same reason I I care about those other people, because we're made in the image of God. We are that keynote of all of creation. We're talking about a tiny life that has done nothing wrong to warrant being left to die cold and alone on a table. Everyone in the Senate ought to be able to say unequivocally that killing that little baby is wrong. Again, that's not hard. Of course that's true. From Kamala Harris 
in California to Bill Nelson in Florida to uh, I was trying to think of a senator's name in Washington and go through all four corners uh, and Susan Collins to Maine and everyone in between. There's not a human being that should even have a uh, even have a question here. Like this is one of those. If you wake me up in the middle of the night, dead sleep, it's two in the morning, and you go, Corey, 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 yeah, what's up? Here's a baby that was just born. It's laying on a table. Can we kill it? Uh, no. This isn't hard. I don't even need to have a Red Bull. Don't even make me coffee. I can tell you the the, the truth on this one really easily. Don't kill the baby. This doesn't take any political courage. And if you can't say that, if there's a member of this body that can't say that, there may be lots of work you can do in the world, but you shouldn't be here. You should get the heck out of any calling in public life where you pretend to care about the most vulnerable among us. There should be no politics here that are right versus left or Republican versus Democrat. This is the most basic thing you could be talking about. This is true. We're saying don't kill a baby. This is not like how is this a debate we're having in the country? We're having a debate in the country about whether or not we can kill a baby totally outside of the womb. We want to discuss whether or not there's an ethical conclusion here. No courage. You don't even need all that high in IQ. Just don't kill the baby. We're talking about a little baby born alive, and we have a public official in America defending the idea, well, you could have a debate about killing her. That's why today I'm starting a dual-track legislative... And then he gets into the actual legislative language of his plan. Now... You may have already heard that very uncontroversial bill was blocked in the Senate by Democrats. I don't like I don't like to play the partisan games. I, this feels very unnatural for me doing what I'm doing, but I do like truth telling. And the truth is, here's Ben Sass with a very obvious thing: we're not going to kill infants. Hey guys, let's stop doing that. The murder of children. Let's. That's just a bad idea. A bill to prevent this was blocked by Democrats in the Senate because, again, there is a religious-level devotion to this idea. The I think it comes from two... I think it primarily comes from two very secular and, at some level, pagan. Like, secular and pagan should be things that are in distinction to one another, but you can become so secular that you become pagan. Like, you want to get away from the, the religious types. But eventually you hate them so much you create your own religion. That's what's happened here with the American secular left. They have created their own paganism. And it comes primarily out of two things I've already mentioned. Part of it is human personal autonomy. And there's nothing more important than the human being free to do whatever the human wants to be happy. That the height of human experience is happiness. And therefore, if a woman would not be happy to have a child to take care of, she can kill that child. Because autonomy, human autonomy and the reach for happiness is more important than human life itself. That's one. And two, I'm not going to play any games, it is about consequence-free sex. This is what American left wants, that there will be sexual intercourse without consequence. And pregnancy is one of the consequences they want to have the ability to remove. Uh, and Democrats went out and proved that this is a sacrament of their religion. The religion of American leftism has a sacrament called abortion. I think homosexual marriage was their other sacrament, and they went out and defended it. What should not have been hard 
a hundred adults should be able to get in the room in the Senate and go, oh, so we don't want to kill children when they're out of the womb. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we're for that. It was so important to never do anything that could diminish the human autonomy of not being a parent and the idea of having sex without consequence. They tried to stop this bill. I I would also mention there one last thing on this. The, The way in which the left talks about pregnancy sometimes is that it was like these, like how could we have ever guessed? How could we ever guess this? This person caught pregnancy the same someone uh, the same way someone catches the flu, the say the same way someone catches some kind of I don't know chickenpox. We can you could never predict this ailment this woman's come down with. She came down with pregnancy. Who could have ever who could have ever guessed this was going to happen? Every pregnancy, uh, 99.9 percent of pregnancies began with a choice, right? Or at least the risk of there being a pregnancy. This is how this works, guys. We all went to biology class. This is how life works. And there is this thing where you would say, uh, well, you, well, you guys, what are you, what are you saying? There should, be, there should be abstinence? Well, don't, don't you, that's, not, that's not a word we live in anymore. No, I'm not even saying that anymore. I understand that a pagan secular people are going to have zero sexual ethics. What I'm telling you is that there's really effective birth control now. You can prevent the killing of the unborn by being a responsible adult. And we can't even, we can't even say that. The, the sacrament is there must be the killing of these children. And I, we got to start saying it that starkly as well. This is the same moral severity at the same level as slavery, and again, maybe more, as we're talking about killing kids. And we gotta say we gotta, we gotta say so. We gotta say so in the starkest of language. For if if you do not, if you're listening to me, and I know I have some left wingers who listen, if you are for an, a totally elective abortion, let's just start after the second trimester. You're an immoral, evil person. You are for an immoral, evil act. You are for something worse than human slavery. And I'm not sorry for saying so. All right, we got to move on. There was on Tuesday night, it was the State of the Union address, and it was all over. I didn't watch it because it came on at 9, and uh, I have things to do. So I had to go to sleep so I could get up and do those things. Plus, I don't ever watch these. I can't stand the State of the, Un- State of the Union. I feel like it's monarchic- monarchical. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, having to do with monarchy, where... Uh, it just feels like too much like there's a king in the room. I didn't like it when Bush and Obama had it. I just don't like it. It's not a good feel for a democratic republic for there to be the king come in. And it's just too much pomp and circumstance for my liking. Plus, I hate all the applause. These speeches that should be 40 minutes, 50 minutes, end up running hours because we got to stop and applaud for every little thing. And so I did for for you so that I could give my opinion on this. I found a version the next day that removed all the applause, and I just played it in my car while I was driving around. So I consumed the entire State of the Union, and I had some general thoughts. First, uh, without question, this is the greatest speech the president has given. He is way better on teleprompter than when he is talking things he actually thinks and believes. When he's giving his own opinions, his own thoughts, from the depths of his heart, it's usually bad. It's usually morally bad. It's presented poorly. It's presented in a low intellect way. It's not ideologically uh, astute. Uh, and it's often false. 
when he's talking from his gut and from his heart and off the cuff. He read the teleprompter effectively. This is usually the case. I, mean, I go back to Barack Obama on this. He had a weird reputation for being this great orator. He wasn't. He read the teleprompter well. He had flourish and ability for reading. That's what, by the way, I have that. I'm not reading to you right now, but I have in the past put together monologues, written them down, and I can speak them like they weren't written. I can speak something that's written down in a conversational tone, and it goes off really well. Some of us have that performance ability. This speech from the president, from an idea of content, was mostly good. I mean, it's a A minus. The the content of the speech was quite strong. So I want to give plaudits to whoever wrote it, to the people who wrote it. Great job. Uh, This is a lot of good content in this speech. I would highlight just a couple things. I, uh, I love the... Someone saying, we are not going to be a socialist country. Now, he's wrong. We probably will. That's the way we're headed, uh, my age group and after. But this is a good thing. I mean, we, we should remember history. We're so bad at history. We had a like a fundamental civilization-type struggle between us and the USSR to settle whether or not we're going to be individualist or collectivists. And the term that got, has been placed on it lately is socialism. But... It's, it's good to have said, we are individualist. We are for liberty. Now, I'm going to get to a point here in a minute, but let me preview it. What, what makes it hard for me is I know he's never said that stuff in his life. Like, even when he said the word liberty, when the president said liberty, I was like, I've never heard him say that word. It even came out of his mouth weird because it's not part of his core ideology. He didn't say it clearly because he doesn't think about human liberty and individuality. It's just never been a part of his 72 years on this earth. He's never thought these ideological thoughts like I have, like deep thinkers do, like those who love the founding fathers do. But it was good. It was good to have said, we are not going to be a socialist country. That's probably, I mean, I... From his his lips to God's ears, I hope that's true. And then his abortion point is good. Whoever wrote it did a great job. I'm glad there was highlighted. We had people in New York applauding the murder of children. We have a governor in Virginia talking about killing a child outside the womb. It needed to be said that way. Those punches need to be thrown. Or, or I guess the illustration I've often given is... Uh, Donald Trump is mostly a hammer in search of a nail. He doesn't know how to do anything else. He just he needs to find a nail to hammer it. And when he has, when his uh, nail was Hillary Clinton, you could appreciate it. But then he turns around. Sometimes his his nail was the Freedom Caucus, and his his nail is sometimes capitalism itself. When he talks about it in, in terms of uh, global trade, and it's like, all right, you picked the wrong nail. I know you're only a hammer, and you only know how to hammer. But pick the right nail, and it's fine. And when he picked abortion and socialism as the nails, very effective, very good, highly appreciative. The first, I think he should have done that earlier, by the way. If I were ordering the speech, you know, he started with like 40 minutes of here's everything going well. And he's, that's what a politician's going to do. Obama did the same thing. It's fine. And then he went into his long immigration thing. I think you go from here's everything going well to... Your punches. I'm going to punch on abortion. I'm going to punch on socialism. And then maybe go to the immigration part. Uh, but it was good to get those punches out. So those were some good points, and I, I do want to acknowledge them. Uh, there were some bad points. He's wrong on tariffs. 
He says we're, we're not going to be a socialist country. And tariffs aren't socialist. But you know what they are? They sure are taxes. And you know what socialism is made of? Lots of taxes. And so you go in one speech room. We're not ever going to be socialist. Also, let me tell you how much I love global taxes. All right. Well, great, man. Uh, so I'm not a fan of the tariffs part. Um, he had a part of the, of the speech that I guarantee someone didn't write for him, that this is something he wanted in it. His point about, you know, we've made all this progress, and if we're going to keep making progress, what we can't have is wars and investigations. It's a bad political move for him. He needs to try to stay above the fray, because Democrats are going to investigate him. They're not going to back off the investigations. To even bring it up was a bad idea. He shouldn't have brought up the idea of investigations. It seems like he's try- he was trying to, I don't know, get a, uh, ahead of it or try to hide something. Don't even mention that what the Democrats are going to do is investigate the heck out of you. Just move on with the speech. So those were two of the lowlights. I have one more major lowlight when we come back. But overall, again, good speech for the content. I'm glad he read it and didn't go off, off script much. He's got good writers. He's got good people around him. And if he will otherwise shut up, stay off Twitter, and don't speak his own mind, if he'll speak their mind, things will go well. I have one more thought from the State of the Union, and we'll do sports when we come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Hi there. Thank you for being with us on the Corey Truax Show. Glad you are here. One more thought from the State of the Union address. Again, I gave it an A- minus to maybe an A. Great content written by other people who weren't named Donald Trump, and he delivered it without making mistakes. Uh, the one Here's where I struggle with the States of the Union. It's, it's how I struggle with Barack Obama and some of his. You know, Barack Obama would have a State of the Union address, and he, he would typically have something near the beginning, maybe near the end, or both. He loved talking about unity and the things that would bring us together. And it was so disingenuous because I watched him the rest of the year. I watched the rest of his administration. His administration was made of pitting people against each other. He would do things to fire up uh, the Hispanic part of the base. He would do some things to fire up the African-American part of his base. He would do some things to fire up his, his global warming people. And he would do some things to fire up his secularists. And he was constantly... Hitting Americans against each other. That was a fundamental part of his political strategy. Is elicit hard feelings from people. And even to the extent of saying, you know, to, to one Hispanic group, oh, you got to punish your enemies. And I could give you some more examples. So Barack Obama would live his life in a way that it was obvious he wasn't for unity. He was for division if he could win. If it would be to his advantage, he was a divider. He was a very divisive figure, and he didn't run from those things. He divided people on purpose. And so then he would come into the State of the Union and talk about unity, and like, yeah, I agree with the words you're saying, but you don't mean them. You're a liar. You're lying about wanting unity. Or he would come in and talk about American ideals, like they were very like great American ideals. All right, well, you don't believe that. I heard you say before the election uh, that you know we are fundamentally, or we are three days away from fundamental, fundamentally transforming the United States of America. As I've illustrated before, you don't say that about something you admire and you love. Go say that to your spouse, as I've illustrated before. Go say to your spouse, go say to someone you love, I sure do love you, but you need to be fundamentally transformed. Let me tell you, if you think something needs to be fundamentally transformed, you don't love it. 
and he said stuff like that in his books and other speeches. He he hates America's founding and the fundamental ideals of the United States of America of individual liberty. Uh, let's go with those two things: individualism, individual liberty, uh, er, getting what you, uh, keeping what you earn, entrepreneurism. Barack Obama hates all that. He's a collectivist. And then he would come into the State of the Union and talk about American ideals. And it was all so disingenuous that I would go, yeah, well, I agree with those words you're saying. The words you're saying are correct. The other 364 days of this year, you don't live by them. I don't, so I don't believe you. I had the same problem with with listening to Donald Trump. I have that issue. Where you're, you're the 72 years of your life scream at me that you don't believe any of this stuff you're saying. The 72 years of your life, and even a big chunk of your administration, you don't believe anything about socialism. You've never, you literally never said anything about it. You, you're actually the guy, and technically, these things I'm about to say, they're not this is technically socialist programs, but you're the guy right now who's saying you don't ever want to touch entitlements. You don't want to touch Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, these are things related to socialism. You're the guy who was for eminent domain, so that's the, against private property rights. Like, well, you're talking a big game against socialism, but your whole life has not matched your words. We have that famous video of him saying that he would be for par- partial birth abortion. Uh, that was part of his New York values. He's never really given us a reason why he changed his mind. People just trust that he did. I know why he did. He made a deal. That's what he does. He makes deals. He's a pro-life voice right now because it helps him. You know what would change? If if it would help him to be a pro-choice voice, he'd change right now. Are you telling me you don't know that Donald Trump's paid for some abortions in his life? Of course he has with all the relationships he's had. He doesn't believe any of this stuff about abortion, but he knows what team he's on. He's a good team player, and so he says the team thing. And so when he says all the stuff that you like... Like, there's things, a bunch of stuff that people wrote down that he read, and I liked it. And then I just realized, like, the same thing I had with Barack Obama. You don't actually think any of that. You don't believe any of the things you're saying. So it's hard for me to have real excitement about it. Now, two more thoughts. I get probably two more thoughts. Do you, oh, maybe three. I got to go fast. Here we go. One of my trepidations about him being the nominee and becoming the face of the Republican Party, which is supposed to be the vehicle for conservatism. One of my trepidations was, what if he hurts the brand? Because he is just one personality. He is going to go away, I think, probably in in 2020 or 2024, he goes away. And you just, I had to ask myself, on the long term, does he hurt conservatism? Does he hurt my ideas because he comes the, he becomes the face of them? And he's a very toxic face. I don't know if I want him being the mouthpiece against socialism because he's hated. He Guys, he lost the popular vote by 3 million. His his approval rating is pretty low. and His approval rating is actually higher than his personal rating. He has the opposite situation of Barack Obama. Barack Obama was personally liked and his approval rating was way down. Donald Trump's approval rating is actually better than Obama's right now, but his personal rating is way down. No one likes him because he's unlikable. And so I'm talking strategically. Do I want him being the face of pro-life, of the pro-life world? I sure don't. He's going to hurt it in the end. Do I want the thrice or four-time married guy who's admitted to all kinds of sexual deviancy? Do I want him 
being my my voice for a pro-life position? Do I want that guy being my voice for capitalism? I sure don't. And when you, when you recognize that the vast majority of his voters were 55 and up, and we've got voters that we've got to try to win in other age groups, it's just I, I find it to be really uh, tenuous that one of the most poisonous figures in our politics ends up being the mouthpiece for the ideas that I like and the ideas that would be good for people. And it's something to consider if we really want that personality being the voice. But overall, again, it's an A- minus to A to A speech. The writers of it should be lauded, and I'm appreciative that he said some of those things. All right, we're going to move on to sports. Here's the Super Bowl. As we do, we're going to finish up talking sports, and it was the biggest sports event of the year. It is the extravaganza, although I guess some uh, were somewhat disappointed in the action. We're going to do it. We're going to talk about it with Heath Powell. He's our sports correspondent. Hello there, sir. Hello. I was not at all disappointed in the Super Bowl. I actually love games that feature a great deal of awesome defense. Uh, tell me about your Super Bowl experience. Yeah, I, honestly, I thought it was kind of boring. I did like seeing the defenses go at it, but I think McVay was just lost that's just what he looked like i mean he just looked lost belichick you know obviously he's a a master coach uh so it's kind of like a a training session master versus apprentice and the apprentice you know obviously lost (laughs) i think mcveigh's gonna have a great career yeah it's funny funny you you and i have talked for a total of 30 seconds today yep but you, you and i have the same point my point coming into the conversation was i what i saw was bill belichick just said to sean mcveigh Good season, son. You guys had a great season, but let me show you how this is really done. Yeah, he just kind of uh, beat him over the knee, spanked him a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it just was, it's it was unbelievable. And yeah. then really, that Rams defense played out of their minds. They did. But with um with golf, even with uh, you got great great players, the Rams, Belichick just seemed to know exactly what they wanted to do. Look, this guy had two weeks to game plan for the Rams. Do you, it, you honest, do people honestly think it was not thoroughly done? Yeah, not with like, Belichick. He's this obsessed. guy's a master game planner. You know, he knows where each opposite player went to high school and who they dated and all that stuff. <laughs> and he really, uh, from, I don't think anyone scored, right, until the Patriots yeah. scored near the end of the first, sec, excuse me, second quarter? Yeah, it was 3-3 in the fourth quarter, I think. Yes. Um, and it was... I don't want to downplay what Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator, did with the Rams. Right. But what it felt like for me was the Rams' defense was winning because their players were playing out of their mind. It wasn't necessarily scheme. Right. It was just Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue. Like those guys were winning their matchups. With the Patriots on defense, it felt like Goff was looking up and going, "What's what's happening right now?" Yeah, Goff looked like Tua did in the national championship. Good analogy. Yes, sir. That's what he looked like. They were they were changing blitz schemes, uh, coverage schemes. They were changing everything, and he did not. You know, I think the Rams will be back, and they may be back often. Yes, um, but I think McVay and Golf were both in over their heads a little bit. I think the moment was too big for them. I don't think they knew how to handle it, and you can obviously tell by the way McVay called the game that it was not reminiscent of the entire year. Like it didn't look like the Rams' offense. No, nope. they just they just didn't know what to do. Yeah, the um the Rams offense. I, I watched them a good bit this year because I'm a I'm something of a fan, and I'm intrigued by McVay because he's well, he's only 33. Yeah, he's my age, and so it's I'm very, insane. Yeah, it is like the the idea of 
that the heart rate you have to have going into the Super Bowl at my age. How, I mean, how old is how old is Belichick? He is sixty four, I think. Yeah, sixty four. Okay, so he was almost McVay's age when McVay was born. That's incredible. That's insane. So, but yeah, Mc, McVay and Jared uh, Goff is what tw- 25? 24. He's twenty four. Yeah, I think uh, no quarterback. 25 and under has ever beaten Bill Belichick. I think yeah. he's, it was some ridiculous number, like 60 and 0 or something. We, I watched <laughs> a lot of Rams this year. I think the best game of the year was Rams versus uh, Chiefs when it happened. Chiefs, yeah, that's right. And if you watch the Rams offense, there's a lot of pre snap uh, jet sweep motion. There's a ton of screens, and you just didn't see that. You saw a lot of straight drop backs, and you saw a right. lot of runs. No creativity, and it just wasn't good enough, which then takes us to the broader picture. This thing the Patriots have done for 20 years. This is the is this the best 20 years for any sports franchise? Forget football because that's not a question. It is yep. the best 20 years in football. Now we have to ask: Is it the best 20 years of in any sport ever? It has to be because let's think about dynasties. Well, I, I'm you know I'm automatically going to the Bulls, right? Me too. Yeah. So if Jordan doesn't leave, that's eight in a row. Well, eight is not half of 20. The Bulls a, were do- yeah. the Bulls could have been dominant for eight. Now, obviously, they were dominant for three, and then Jordan leaves for two, and they're dominant for three again, and he quits again. But let's just call it eight because if he hadn't left, they'd have probably won those two as well. Yeah. Um, so that's eight years. But we're talking two decades it, of, of mean, dominating. You might disagree with this, but I think the NFL is the harder one to dominate. It is the harder one to dominate, and look how the Patriots do it. They do it with cast-offs, free agents. Uh, arena league players. They do it with Canadian football players. They do it with five nine quarterbacks from Toledo mm-hmm. who wins the MV freaking P of the of the Super Bowl. Like, like never, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, they're never picking at the top of the draft. That's not how it works. They no, they've they, been doing it for twenty years and and never have first round draft picks. Even the um the or year high Brady, first round draft picks. The year Brady went down uh, in the first game of the season, they still won eleven games, and right. so they were picking in the back. Four or five, I mean, they they nailed it this year with their first round pick. I mean, Sony Michelle was a great pick. Yeah, but this um this run, as I started thinking about it, uh, just I was on the road the next day talking like thinking about this run in sports. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it or ever will again. This Belichick, I don't know, I don't know that you can. Comp- I don't know there's that there's anything to compare it to. I really don't. No, uh, you know, obviously the Celtics in the sixties, you know, fifties and the sixties. Uh, their run, I think they won eleven, but I mean, it's a different league uh, in a different time. It, I think it's it was a different league. It's a different time. I don't think there was free agency back then. Nope. You signed guys and they stayed until they retired. That's just how it was. Um, but look at the Patriots. Look, I mean, look who they've had through the past twenty years: Wes Welker. I mean, Julian Edelman. I mean, all these guys. You know, look at Josh Gordon. What they did with him. Nobody would touch Josh Gordon. Well, now he wasn't there for the Super Bowl. He left, but look what he did while he was there. They, uh, they also uh, creatively changed football over and over. I mean, that Aaron Hernandez time with Gronk. Yeah, with Gronk. A lot of folks started copying that. They were uh, Belichick found something the rest of us just didn't think of. He realized, so I can just do matchups? Like, I can just put some bodies on the field that you don't have the right bodies to match up with? Oh, that's that's what we'll do. Yeah, and, and then, I'm, that's right. And I know there are you know, Brady haters. I'm not a Brady fan. I'm not a Brady hater. I give credit where it's due or I try to. Sure, yeah. Belichick is a master schemer, and but Brady has to make the reads at the line. He has to get the ball to the right person. Um, look what he did with Randy Moss. Okay, we get Randy Moss. So what do they do? They change their offense. They're an over-the-top passing team now, and he breaks records. Brady breaks records. 
Um, he just doesn't have those weapons now, but he uses what's available. And Belichick gets the guys who work hard. They play hard. They may not be the most athletic guys on eight teams. You know what I mean? Right. But one, they're but they're football players. One last uh, thought on the Super Bowl, and then just a big congrats to that entire organization, all their fans. It's a really it's it's kind of cool to watch it happen. I don't like them much, but it, right. it's a cool thing to live through and watch this twenty years of football be defined by this one franchise. It is. My, I was my, I was telling ahead. my ten year old son during the football game. He's like, "Oh, I'm tired of the Patriots. I want the Rams to win." I said, "Listen, that's fine, but one day you you may be telling your grandkids. I remember when the Patriots were you know." in the Super Bowl every year and got to see Belichick and Brady and all these guys. I said, so, you know, he's only 10, but he doesn't understand. Yeah, yeah, but my point it, was, you don't see this often or at all most of the time. Yeah, Even for a guy like me who doesn't like them, you got to appreciate it. you got to right. appreciate living in this moment, living in this time. Mind. Okay, one more question about this. When uh, Brady's first pass of the night, yep. it's run, 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 four runs. The fifth plays a pass. It's a pick. Yep. Did you have an ominous feeling for the Patriots when it happened, or did you just think, oh, he'll shrug, he'll shrug, shrug that off? No, I didn't, because to me, it looked like he went to throw it, saw the saw the corner, jumped the route, and he tried to bring it back. That's why it was wobbly when it came out of his hands. If you watch Brady throw the ball, it's the same motion, the same arm movement, the same spiral every single time. Yep. The, when you go back and watch the replay, when he let it go, it was wobbly like a duck, and he knew it when he let it go. I think he tried to stop his throw in motion, but it came out of his hand anyway. Um, yep. I wasn't worried just because – Based on history of what he does most exactly. of the time. <laughs> yeah. The same way my, about... my biggest my biggest question of the Super Bowl, and it's maybe a lot of other people's where was Todd Gurley? I would love to know. That what better get answered doing? eventually. Eventually that needs to get answered. If there wasn't an injury, if there was some he's, kind of personality he's, thing. He's saying he's fine. He had ten carries and thirty five yards. That's it. Well, you know, uh last Super Bowl with the Eagles, Malcolm Butler, <sighs> the best corner for the Patriots, didn't play. And we still right. don't know why. I yeah. think if he, I think if he plays the Patriots, win that Super Bowl. Yeah, I think that was more Belichick trying to show who's the boss, but he ended up losing. <laughs> yes, and so I, I need to get that that girly uh, question answered eventually. I'd love to know. Yeah. All right, we've run out of time for talking sports. Thanks for doing it, sir. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.